0: Hello, you fuggly, fallacious fellows that we call friends. Welcome to the Britical Fail Podcast. Today it is I, Terry, and with me are the boys, Miles and Coop. Hello. I, I wouldn't call us friends, more acquaintances.
1: Yeah, yeah. Terry's just some guy we
0: found under under a bridge somewhere. I do like bridges, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, what is here and there are everywhere, depending on how you lay out the campaign, is the topic for today, which is about, uh, basically, railroading. Is it bad or is it good? And other things you can do with it. Uh, So, since I'm the host, I'll go first. Why not? Personally, um, obviously, railroading is, like, bad, usually. But I think the way that you can dress it up can be made good, such as giving an illusion of choice. Like, say, if you were to make the party believe that their options caused this outcome, when, no, it was probably going to be like this regardless, It's just might be that, like, a character might be dead, which might, you know, cause other things to happen later on. Like, for example, say, uh, in the campaign I was going to run, Well, that I did run until the event, like, quickly fell apart with Miles and some other friends of ours. Uh, The whole idea was, is that because the campaign had a lot to do in it, I wanted the hub that the campaign was mostly going to be based in to have its first major quest there as in the form of a prologue. Where the idea is, is the party had to pretty much go from point A to point B, save some hostages and then bring them back and the idea was is that unless the party massively screwed up uh the hostages would have been saved and they would have been brought back and it would have been like my introductory to everything that i wanted the party to sort of get used to and of course with that there's very little deviation you're going from point a to point b and like can you say that's railroading It depends really how you do it. If you force us, that's railroading. If you
1: set up a trail for us to follow that we want to investigate, then that's a very different kettle of fish. Like, I I am a big fan of the idea of having the players go where they want to go. But I do like to have plots set out. Like in my current campaign that I do on Fridays, the party was literally given a list of names to search out. They were given a place to go, but they were also told... They they were basically allowed to go whichever direction they wanted to get to that place. And, yeah, it was just... Um, like, you can go anywhere you want to get to this location, but you act, here is the link towards it.
2: Yeah, I think there's also, like, a misconception between the idea of a linear story and a railroaded game. Um, you can have... Like a story, like when you're trying, you were trying to tell Terry, where it's like the plot is over there. You need to get there and back for the for for the game to happen, and have that either play out as like a railroaded experience, or have that play out as just a linear story. Like a, I feel like the main distinction between those things is not even an illusion of choice, but the fact that there is no choice. Because even in the linear story, you have choices to make and and different ways to explore and do things. But in a, quote, railroaded game, you either do things exactly how the DM does it or they shaft you.
1: And at, and at that point, the DM might as well be writing a novel instead of playing DD. or any other RPG for that matter.
0: Um, I think the thing is as well... I feel like most people never really consider the games that they're in to be railroaded unless, like, it's blatantly obvious. Again, I feel like if a DM is clever enough with how they write the campaign, what could what could be actually railroaded to a player might be just, like, linear to them. Or, you know, like... It's, it's weird, because it's the whole, like... Because you'd have to look at it from a complete different perspective of like the GM and how they run a campaign. Like I'd like to think when UDR sessions miles, like you've already said, you like to have the choices there, and you like to leave the hooks out for us to try and take.
1: Yeah. Um, one thing I, I mean, this is kind. This is me basically meaning how I railroad, or some people might say this is not railroading at all. It's some um, kind of like. If you want something to happen, let, like uh, Cooper was saying, have the illusion of choice, or you, or is he, I think everyone would say the illusion of choice is... Um, basically, I have it be that if I want something to happen, a specific thing, but you guys want to do whatever you want to do, that's fine. Have the thing you want happen nearby, and then you are technically railroading, but, you know you're not because the players are free to go to that place and then they discover something there is a lot of you can do a lot of trickery because you can have the plot happen wherever you want it to happen you don't have to force the party to deal with it that like in a certain way and you can also just you know have have a said situation like you guys will face the big bad at the end of the campaign but and this is important How do you deal with it before you get to that guy? How do you deal with the enemy? Do you go to a dungeon, fight the big bad, and kill him, and then that's it? Or do you try and negotiate? Do you try and form a rebellion against them in the first place? I remember in Coop's campaign, we in one dungeon we were in, Coop had set up tons of these terrifying monsters, and instead the party just paid grief counselor to this god, who was just it was God of mi- not God of misery, but like death and decay. I'm probably getting uh, that wrong. <laughs> yeah, they were the
2: God of storms, death, and revenge. Uh, you'd walked into their you'd walked into their home, which was an ancient palace, because you needed some books out of the place. And just because you guys were able to communicate to one of the guardians of the place. Instead of going through the dungeon, fighting monsters and taking out enemies and doing a regular crawl, but you mostly just talked your way through the problem by getting some ridiculously good rolls because you were high level and had a bunch of charisma characters, and just solving the problem in a different way. And I think that that's a good way you could still have like a regular planned d session and make it not feel like you're railroading. By having multiple solutions to the same problem baked in, one game series I know that does this really well is Deus Ex, where like in Deus Ex Two, um, the the new series, not the old series, uh, there was a bank you could go into, and technically this was an open world scenario and sandboxy, but you had an objective in that bank. And there were many paths that you could go down. You could do it stealthily, you could go in guns blazing, you could do social manipulation, you could do hacking. There were many tactics you could take to achieve the same objective. And where players will push back on you in your design for your dungeons or your campaigns is when they want to do something that maybe like like let's not even talk about, like, you have something planned out for that session, and the player's just like, no, we don't want to go into that dungeon, we want to go to the coast and sell spices, so you have to throw out an entire session and do it later. Let's talk about, like, the players are bought into your dungeon, they want to do it, but they feel like you're being railroaded. Like, that feeling of railroading comes from them trying
0: things, and you just out of hand dismissing them. I think that's the thing, like, like you were just saying though about how you how the party was able to talk their way through encounters and stuff, I think on one side you can say that like not on one side basically how like um you'll get some GMs who don't reward that. Well, like they expect you to fight, and like. You will either get punished, maybe because you won't get the experience that you should have really gotten, if your GM does that. Or maybe they just arbitrarily have the enemy just keep attack anyway, even though there's literally no reason. And then it just creates this divide where it's like, Well, what's the point in doing anything if I can't even like try any options?
1: There's a good adage from Matt Mercer when he does on critical role is it's a very simple phrase he says, "You can certainly try.": Yeah. That is.
2: There is a limited possibility space in role-playing games, and you can certainly try is such a good mantra, because you can technically do anything. It's just, you know, it might not work. But you as a DM, when you're planning, need to expect the players to do the unexpected, or at least be flexible enough to let them try.
0: I think another thing, however, though, is that like some of it should be down to the players either being given the expectations what they should have in mind already. Don't expect too much. Like say, like why would you be able to talk down the woman whose husband you've just murdered when, like, you know, you're stood over the body. And then it's like, yeah, let's let's sweet talk our way around this. We still have the murder weapon. We're still covered in blood. You're still the carrying a bloody...
1: severed head. Yeah.
0: <laughs> like, that's when it gets to a point where it's like, there's only one outcome.
1: But everything before then, there was multiple. And that, that's the key thing. If you ha- always allow the phrase r- some ri- some wriggle room just to get it in, and there you go. You have a little bit of options. If you have only one solution to a problem, no matter what the solution is, it starts to become far more <laughs> railroady, and then it gets less fun, because people like to try it and poke at things.
0: I think that's another thing, though, is a case of that, like if the party wants to go off and do something completely different, then you kind of have to ask yourself, like, is this because the GM hasn't made what they wanted to show off uh, appealing enough? Like maybe the reason the party wants to open up a business selling candied fruits in this backwater town is because they find it more engaging than like this epic quest you've set them on. And in that case, is it because does the party genuinely just not respect the GM and what they want to do? Or is it just that is more interesting for them? And if that case, does the GM tailor the campaign and rework it to facilitate this candied Apples business? Or does the GM just like say, I'm going to need new players because not that this is the story I want to tell. Yeah, kind of like that, because, you know, sometimes a GM and a group just don't fit together, you know?
1: Yeah, um, again, it's all down to one of the key things that most groups need to think about, especially if you're forming a new group, and that is communication. I mean, this is just, in general, for real-life relationships, in, in any form, it is good to have good communication, because, you know, if you make a mistake, you might do... Something that'll offend or upset somebody, and that can cause f- groups and friendships just collapse on it on it in one little act, one little action, and. But like one
2: one one thing though is more importantly than just communicating well. You have to try to manage expectations. Like when when I say we're gonna play D anD D, it. It, 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 there was something clear in my mind that might not be clear in your mind. Like when I say d, uh, we're going to play d d my mind goes into kicking down doors and exploring dungeons and spellcraft and epic fantasy. Meanwhile, someone else who doesn't think of like the systems as tool sets might think, oh, we're going to have a shit ton of fun role playing and courtly intrigue and stuff. And it's down to explaining what you want to do with what your with what your campaign is and getting your players to buy into that at the ground level a lot of the time
0: yeah i think if as long i feel like as long as both sides are open with what they want and what they're expecting like i I mentioned this before we started recording how like the gm should be open with what like to expect uh If a GM is saying you kind of need to play, not completely serious, but don't make, you know, stupid, silly clown shoes characters. One of the party members makes like a halfling barbarian whose gimmick is that they're supposed to be like a wrestling heel. But they use armpit farts to communicate their displeasure. Then like something's gone wrong.
1: I mean, in a clown choose campaign, that can work. But if you're doing something grim like Berserk or The Witcher, maybe tone that shit
0: down. Or even if just the GM is like, I don't want that in my campaign, have some level of like, not respect, but give some form of, yeah, like give some form of respect for the campaign if that would be all right. You know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. A thing that I often see is like a DM might have in mind something like moderately serious. They're they're not going to be like oh grimdark or anything like that. But like your characters will be inter- interacting with characters that have self respect and are like off the wall wackadoo, and then you know one player is playing a bard who just flirts with everything that moves and just the 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 again it's managing expectations and getting a consistent tone is important. And communicating that tone and getting someone excited to play something within that tonal range is also going to be a major step in not getting your players feeling upset about like, well, I've had this character I've been excited for and I've spent a few days thinking about them. And you're telling me now, like two days before we start the campaign, that it's going to be a no-go. Or even worse, several sessions into the campaign, you've been dumping shit all over my funny character because we're in this fancy court, and every time I whip out a pie to throw at someone, I get arrested. (coughs) I'm the pie-throwing clown who took throwing weapon proficiency! Why are you doing this to me? Well, because... We didn't have a conversation that we were doing the French Revolution in D and D, and you're a clown throwing pies at fucking the, the new assembly.
0: I, d- I don't think it helps as well though. I've not. I think like sometimes a GM does need to put the foot down with something. If it is like, I'd, like that, like the clown, the pie throwing clown or whatever. Like, I feel like a GM should also, you know, be firm and fair and being like. Not you have to play like I want you to, but, like, you know, there's a time and a place. And I think that's also just the same with, like, sometimes the players need to put their foot down. Say if, like, a good example, um, a personal story of mine, a campaign I played on Mondays, were like, I really should have put my foot down. Um, The campaign set itself up as, like, nothing spectacular and that was fine the idea was we all met we all did this job we were all gonna go our separate ways afterwards but we all decided well we work really well together we all need money and we're all looking to explore why don't we just do it together and so we made this group and then like as we traveled along uh the world map we did, you know, again, nothing like too specific or like anything that led up to a specific storyline, just doing jobs, doing work, nothing crazy. And then suddenly the GM, and it feels like there was no foreshadowing. There wasn't any like tidbits of being like, oh, uh, the city to the south has been really quiet for a while. Uh, Every messenger we've sent has gone silent, which, you know, would be a great way to introduce the party being like, well, why have they gone silent, you know? Maybe that's something we could do. No, we just went to this place though, and then suddenly a Cthulhu existed. Basically fighting Mecha Godzilla? What? And then and then the Legion and then the Legions of Hell basically came out, and then we were suddenly forced into this role of like dealing with these creatures. Okay would have been nice if we were told about this before because we weren't it just spiraled down and got worse and you could tell the GM was actively forcing the the story to go along what you wanted
1: so basically just you were now the defenders of the realm
0: yeah because it got to the point where like I I tried to pay attention but then once we were going into helicopters <laughs> in a, in a low fantasy setting mind you Like Uh, dropping, uh, dropping down like fucking Fortnite battle bus shit (laughs) into areas, (laughs) and then it's like we're going here. We're dealing with a thing, and then it's like, but why? Um, No, I real, and then I realized afterwards it's because the GM was forcing us along this thing and couldn't think of a good way to do it.
2: I mean, shit, Terry. This was the this was the railroading episode, not the not the horror story episode. But Jesus Christ.
0: That's, that's an example, though, of, like, and the GM didn't bother, like, easing us into it, or again, like I said at the beginning, making us feel like our choices were leading up to this moment, even though it might have not been, it's just the GM framed it in such a way. It was just, you're doing this, if you don't like it, well, tough. T- T- Terry, what level were you when this happened? Uh, The Cthulhu... uh, We started at level Mm 3, and we got to level 5 by the time we reached this uh, castle where, yeah, there was Cthulhu monsters and, like...
1: you were the legendary heroes here to save a day at
0: level 5. We weren't even that legendary. We literally killed... In order, we killed a succubus. You know, nothing too crazy. bit dangerous, but, you know... Sets up the idea that we're quite special and we're a good team. Then we worked okay. with some guards to kill some bandits. Uh, no, no bandits. Again, nothing special. No build-up to this grand scheme. Uh, then we killed a Displacer Beast.
1: Again, nothing's too special there.
0: Like, again, all of these things were completely fine. Just standard d adventure affair. Nothing that would lead us to believe that, like, after the yeah, because then, not even, I think we had just killed the displacer beast in this same session, we pretty much were hit level five, and then, yeah, just old ones fighting a giant mecha godzilla, not even, not even hyperbole, giant metallic dragon, and then it turns out this random NPC who had no build up again. Because the GM forced it into this role, was like apparently the king of the area. Had you met the NPC before they became king? Yeah, he, uh, yeah, and he was a stoner who like <laughs> built machines and apparently invented, yeah, helicopters. And drones. Military-grade to... drones. More it sounds the- like they wanted to play fucking Shadowrun and... But again, that's like not setting up expectations. If we had been told some of these exist are like there's been stories of like weird creatures coming about like no one knows where they came from or like you know, fine. We'd been aware uh, there'd been bits of foreshadowing here and there and then we could have built the interest to actually want to do this. And then the GM could have been like, right, these locations are all being targeted, and then which one do you want to do first? And then we could pick our choices. But no, we just went to here, to here, to there, to there, and there was no real rhyme or reason. The GM just forced us along this path, you know?
2: Yeah, you were playing d 5th edition, and then suddenly your DM got a wild hair at their ass and put you in Cthulhu
0: tech. But, like, again, uh, as a player... Uh, I did actually, like, bring it up, but it got really not... It pretty much got ignored to the point where I eventually spoke out and just said I'm not interested and left. And, yeah. <laughs> and, sadly, that's not even the first campaign I've been in that's been exactly like that. Another campaign where no expectations and now was suddenly, like, having to speak to every leader of every country because yeah and the gm was forcing us along this path like we couldn't even choose which order we wanted but again that could have been fine if it had been properly set up and there was stuff in between and there was bits here and there that while it might have met the same end point we could have had variation you know yeah yeah
2: yeah like I've told plenty of linear games i've 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 told a very long linear game that literally involved several railroads that my players didn't feel like they were railroaded on. It's all in how you present it and what you do between the story beats that you want to happen as well as the choices you present and like mind if I just talk about this for a minute or two?
1: That's what you're here for <laughs> you've got the flow I mean, yeah,
2: yeah, but like so. Not to railroad the conversation, which is why I asked, but um, in the Dark Heresy campaign that I just finished putting my YouTube videos up on, uh, SwordCooper, YouTube, YouTube, YouTube.com, actually, Sword <laughs> Cooper too. Uh,
1: you can say it clearer at the end if you want. Cooper. Yeah,
2: Sword Cooper or you, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> that was a relatively linear campaign because it was an investigation. In Dark Heresy, you are serving under an Inquisitor, someone who has the authority to blow up planets if they want to. Uh, and the party was te- given an explicit task and unleashed on this planet to, ac- to accomplish it. They had a few points of nonlinear nodes in the storyline that they could go through, kind of like in like a, like a Bethesda game, almost, where it's just like, okay, you've been dropped here, here are your leads, run them down in any order you want. Okay, you've run those down, well, congratulations, you finished early, sit around for a day or two because the next story beat is going to happen on this scheduled point in time. And they knew about it because they were there to prevent this cult from interrupting a shipment of super war machines. And shit played out in sequence because the players knew that there was going to be a sequence. They knew their time on that planet was going to be registered and built around their mission. And they still had choice. They still had freedom to investigate things as they ch- as they pleased. They could have busted in doors, waving around the holy sigil of the Inquisition and threatening to set people on fire if they didn't get their information. But instead, they chose to do it like a police procedural and chase down their leads intelligently. And then after they had this big set piece roving train battle, I had them on because you know it was they, they were there to defend this tri- shipment on this train. They, they they made a choice about where they set up on that train and it dramatically changed how that fight would turn out. They thought that the that a bunch of special guests on the train would be the actual targets and not like the conductor or the war machines. They were wrong. And so the, like, 90% of the party were at the back of the train and they only have one person at the front to guard it. So they've fight went from like being scattered around the train or doing patrols or whatever which is what I thought it was to a mad dash from the caboose to the engine room to stop the train from being derailed or blown up like like, it was a very linear story you know but at every point at every point of of the dotted line I gave them they were free to approach the problem in ways they wanted even though they knew that they were on effectively a linear path
0: yeah it's not exactly like you told them you have to do it this way because this No, I didn't I didn't like grab them around the throats and say, you have to be
2: super sneaky spies and you have to do the dangerous route on the train and you have to and you have to split up in a dangerous dumb method. No, I let them
0: figure out what they wanted to do on their own and planned around them. The thing is, even those even those limitations can offer choices, like the sneaky path could have been well maybe we want to do it like this way to be sneaky or maybe uh you have to pick this specific car on the train but like this is what you do with that car sometimes as well with like limitations i feel like as long as you give something to work within those you know like again uh if you want to be sneaky well how do you do that do you create a distraction Maybe one of the party members who isn't built for stealth decides to basically offer themselves as a—I <laughs> was going to say tribute—but as the distraction. Um, or maybe they decide, well, this party member's really good at sabotage, and there's enough materials here to basically like set off a delayed blast.
2: Yeah, like it—it's it, about you, you, you when you when you're telling a linear story. You're setting up, effectively, like like writing an essay or, or writing a book. You're setting up an outline, and then your players are writing the book itself, you know? Like I, like, like a stealth example. Yeah, the, the party has decided that in this, like, there's, there's someone they need to rescue from a castle. And they could go in, kick down the door, and just have a bunch of combat encounters. But instead, they decide to play it smart. And even though they have a paladin and a fighter who both use heavy armor they've decided that the paladin and the fighter are going to go to the front gate and just be a big distraction by being big, loud dudes in heavy armor so the bard, the rogue, and the ranger can sneak in the back and save the hostage. Like, like you have to be able to be flexible enough to account for that and let it play out.
1: Um, Yeah. That's um, that's the idea of flex, but that's a good point. Um, When I did my current campaign, I deliberately stud you off in the town of Crossroads, which is a four-point... This is kind of how I do it, because I have a... In my campaign, I always have a running clock. Basically, if you don't get to... If you learn of something, and if you don't get to it within ten days, the opportunity may be gone, or someone may have beaten you to it, or it would be different when you get there. But one thing I did in this, in my campaign, was you had a town called Crossroads which had Four, it could go in four cardinal directions, blah, blah. There's four separate towns. And when you had the list of names of people you guys wanted to find, in, they were in each direction. So there was no right or wrong way to go about it. And you guys went south and dealt with a bunch of kobolds in a mine because you went to an area where someone had gone missing in the mines and that person happened to be your contact that you were looking for. And so you rescued them and that event happened. If you'd gone north and gone back to this, the place later on in the, to the south, that contact would be dead because you decided, because the time was, clock- was ticking, they had a few days not to get killed by kobolds. And yeah, that's why it was in a four-way thing, because you had that NPC, the NPC Anna go one way, you went another way, and because of the way you guys actually worked, you actually managed to deal with two of the situations instead of instead of just one. And yeah, you managed to basically deal with two of the situations when I only expected one, and it would have gone far worse for for certain things. But then, when you finally went a direction to the north, you had arrived in a town where the event you could have prevented had already happened. But then that came, caused a completely different scenario for that session but that isn't railroad, That that's very much a more open way of doing it, but I had a set time limit, so you could only affect so much, and that is, in a way, railroading, but you had the choice of going in that way in in, in any time, so you could have prevented anything.
2: Well, no. Miles, that's just, that, that that's a no-way shape of railroading. That is good sandbox design. Yeah. Our choice to head south had actual impacts, because the village to the north that we could have gone to had this horrible massacre happen because we weren't there to like do something to prevent it but here's a question to you that will like, elucidate what could have been like some sandbox, like, like some railroading shit, what would you have done if we went south to that town where we knew one of our contacts was lost in a mine and said, you know what, going into a mine with a bunch of kobolds feels boring and dumb, let's leave this man to his death and keep going south
1: what would you have done in that case? Uh, that, that, is in all, that That's the good thing about... One of the few things about the social contract about d d is that most people would be willing to go along with it, but for the sake of arguments, I would probably have panicked, but then, then again, I had ideas for a town to the south, which you eventually did go to, called Dolan's Hill. And if you had gone there, you would have dealt with a much weaker version of events, and you would have been there and dealt with a hag, which you guys fought later on. Um, but uh, the thing is, you could have completely abandoned the quest. Like, a lot of the uh, side quests or the dungeons that you dealt with were side quests most of the time. Like, dealing with the bandits yeah. and meeting in the town of Braidwood. You didn't have to deal with them. You, if you'd gone quickly, you could have missed them. If you'd gone quickly, met the and thing, okay. And then you hear rumors of something going on, and you're like, huh, ah, okay, that head let's head somewhere else, you could have done it. And the town would have eventually got wrecked, and when you'd have finally reached a different town, you'd have got eventually got news of the attack just after you left. So that's
2: that's interesting. Like I've had situations like that happen to myself, which is why I asked. And I at that point I often have to look at my at my players and say, "Well guys, you decided to not go to the content I prepared for this session. We can either like I can either come up with a reward that would get your characters interested or we can stop here 2 hours into the game and I can come back with some new stuff prepared for next week." Because sometimes your players will choose to not go with what you have and instead of panically trying to redirect them, or doing what you did, Miles, because you had other stuff prepared, you can like, just frankly tell them, like, hey, look, you guys reached the world's loading screen.
0: I think, yeah, that's actually good. Uh, my two cents, I think with like even just referencing Miles' example, I feel like one thing you could do is that like you know there's a way to not de-incentivize plays, but, you know, to sort of lead them away from things. It's to just be like, well, there's no real lead this place. Whereas, like, you know, giving them the options, what are available, and presenting it as like, well, you can do all of these. Like, maybe you want to look for leads in the town that you're in, instead of just doing the obvious quest that's right in front of you. Um, or you can just leave, and then muck around, but just know that, like, you're missing out on stuff that, like, i trying to think of how to word this without sounding rude, but like, I guess, yeah, just leaving, and, you know, aimlessly, for no reason, I guess?
1: it It's How's kind it? of like the old saying of carrot and stick. Like, give. I know it sounds cheap, but sometimes giving a carrot in the form of a reward is better than just forcing it. It's like, or you just say, like, if you go here, you'll get something cool happen. Even if that, if you make it so the story you're going for, if your story is not interesting at all, then you should really think about what you're coming up with. And. Really, it all again boils down to making sure the players know what you want and what and you and they know what you want and you know what they want, and it's a lot of it is the compromise, which is a, the thing about D anD. d You may have a perfect setting in your mind. You think, oh, there's going to be this big war. It's going to be all these amazing things, and the party might not give a shit about the war. That happens a lot. <laughs> like in my campaign. I like to think that the war that you have you guys are about to face, and literally about to face, has been sort of seeded throughout the campaign as being an ever-looming threat. Like, you found hints of things happening before, and hopefully you're like, oh, shit, we should deal with it. And you guys went on basically a training arc, basically, to get ready for it.
0: Well, I think with that as well is the case where it's like, we knew the other like area that we spent a lot of the build-up had a lot of untapped potential that we just well we've never been there but we knew like there were bits and pieces that like had been hinted such as with rose and her connection with the ancient dragons uh and also just some stuff like bits of payoffs like finding out my character and the source of all of his woes was actually in this area. And then obviously then it also led into Hectic uh, Wizard, Coop's character, finding out about his origins.
2: Which also led to a bit of resolution for your character's backstory.
0: Yeah, but it's like it helps that we knew not all of that was there, but we knew something was there, or at least there were bits there that then led into finding out more stuff on the way, whereas it could have been, oh, there was in this amount of time and then you can either go here or there's nothing else to do because it's not even a matter of the GM not being able to come up with anything but it's a case of like what else is there for you to do, you know? So, I think that we were hitting on something here, like
2: For for a bit in this conversation, we've been talking about like how railroading is it's it's a failure of the DM, essentially. Namely, we've been saying so far that it's a failure of the DM to prevent interest to present interesting options or like choice within like the design of their dungeon or their story, yeah? But it's it's also a failure of the DM, or at least the players, in engaging with the plot. And for the DM, it's them not putting enough hooks in to get the player
0: who's interested, you know, like, or, or even just making the hook juicy enough. Maybe, maybe, like, uh, maybe again, like with uh, the war, like, maybe we uh, do f- consider going to the country, but maybe Miles just not uh, described it or give us enough to really care maybe all we know of it is that it's just open and boring and there's barely anyone who lives there and there's very little to do from what we know so why would we care because that's all we know
2: yeah because our characters are ultimately besides like being good people and wanting to protect the people around them and make it so bad things don't happen they're effectively self-interested beyond that and that's true of a lot of adventurers and, and player characters if there's not something fucked up or evil that you're immediately aware of or directly in front of you, you're probably not going to engage with it because generally people consider themselves good and they generally consider doing things that are good for other people. But sometimes that is not enough. And sometimes you have to take what you're at your your cool idea and make it personal for the player characters. Either give them a reward ahead of time, or tie it in to something that it's no longer this random town on the roads problem. No, 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 your sister lives here. No, 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 you you, you have a reason to help out here. Or the threat is not just a threat to these people, but they've done something
1: to wrong you personally. That is exactly the point I was just about to make, is literally, it's just, if you want to get anything involved, make it personal, steal the party wagon. As level as that, as soon as you do that, they'll want revenge.
0: In <laughs> my uh, in my setting that I want to run, the idea with me is, and uh, some plot threads that I do intend to show is that like it's setting up it or foreshadowing it, but keeping it behind a sort of level gate, if you get what I mean. Not to be like you must be this strong to progress. I mean, that is the point, but not to present it like that. Or if it is, it's with the intention of that, yeah, we might not be strong enough, but we can at least deal with these other things before we get to that. Like, sort of, you know, how you would... Like, if you know the princess is in the castle, and the big bad wizard is there, well, I'm a peasant. I can't deal with it. But I can at least kill his lieutenants and get stronger. never
1: underestimate the power of the assorted algorithm of evil or not this
0: or do it in a case where it's like have them like as an example a plot that I do intend to if I did run the setting that I do want to run is there's talks of a very infamous criminal who uh, their party contact wants them to break the guy out but that alone like why would we want to go into this high-security prison, we have nothing to gain from it, even if you do give us money, and we're adventurers. Wouldn't that tarnish our reputation? Well, it would, but it turns out not only was the guy framed, but he's also in close connection with another character who you know, and this person might be incredibly squeaky clean in their reputation. Well, in that case, well, why does this... Why do they know each other if this criminal who's murdered like 20 children and if he is framed then why is his friend not done anything? And it's like, well, I want to know the answers, right? Wouldn't you? Maybe not in that instance, but as an example. There is
1: actually a good reason hmm. in theory to have someone killed <laughs> This is going to sound weird for a sentence. It's okay. You can actually come up with an idea to justify why this grown man killed 20 children. Um, no, there is a way. Um, make them. Ha- they were all twenty Hitlers. <laughs> um, well, less ridiculous.
2: I mean that 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 kind of was the point in The Witcher uh, of uh, the woman who Geralt killed in the uh, uh, the, the Butcher of Blaviken mm. incident. Uh, there was a wizard who was going around killing all of these young girls who were these heralds of the apocalypse, and that's part of why Geralt's. Like, was entangled with this person and ended up slaughtering their entire gang because she was going to take revenge and continue the cycle of violence.
1: But I was going to say, make the children be changelings or hag children. If you have, because every- if you know anything about hags, they reproduce by eating babies <laughs> and then producing an identical copy of the baby.
0: But that's the thing, like, that, and that could be like what leads you to be like, well, yeah, this guy's actually pretty cool. He's just been framed. And his friend wants to help him, but maybe there's not only either too much legal red tape, or maybe he doesn't know his friend's been framed. And because he thinks, oh, my best friend murdered these children, why the hell would I want to help him? I've been lied to all my life. So,
2: earlier, Terry. You did actually bring up part, like almost word for word, the premise of a campaign I ran at one point. So it was, uh, it was, it was a level zero to level twenty campaign that I ran uh, called Five Crossings Keep. At the start of the campaign, the thing I hooked my players with was they were each to make four potential player characters that they would want to play, and they were guards at a castle that was recently taken over in the wilderness after a group of adventurers had managed to defeat a bandit clan that had been making the area. Uh, A hell to traverse. They started the campaign as this group of 20 individuals who had all come to this castle for employment and to see the realm prosper for their various reasons and left behind a personal effect in their barracks in the basement of this castle. And half of them were, like, patrolling this dungeon where the remains of the bandit clan were. And this bandit leader was taunting, was, like, talking shit and being threatening and ominous. And they were getting to know him. A few of them were getting to know some of the men who were to the castle. And then about an hour into the game, a wall exploded in the basement. And the guys on patrol were suddenly rushed by an endless tidal wave of goblins. And I literally mean endless. There would they would not be able to kill enough of them for it to stop. And the rest of the campaign was, they were tied into this place personally, because that was their hope for the future, and a bunch of them had managed to not reclaim their personal objects. And it was just one of the adventurers who had claimed the place in the first place, gathering up a new team to go take it back again. And from there, it turned out an evil wizard was in charge, and they prosecuted a war by going after his operations and his lieutenants. And the buy-in was built
0: in at the very first session. That's actually pretty interesting. As I was saying, though, of the level gating off, the idea would be, though, is that they know of this, but their contact... As the idea of, like, the level gating, like, I would be telling the party this, say, when the level 4, but the idea is they're not dealing with this until the level 7. So, like, what do I do? To make them have to wait three levels. Well, it turns out, uh, we don't know when the guy's going to be executed and he, the contact is having to find a guy who can sneak them in or someone who they can have within who can help them. Right.
2: Well, yeah, you can also set it up. So it's just like, we know this guy's not going to get executed for a year. We have one year or something. And then the quests you use to level them up are just all prep work for busting him and then saving him. And as soon as you're almost ready, like you're on the one last quest to finish your Ocean's Eleven style, break in, you're level six. And you only know, and you know, they just need this one last quest to have that level seven and go on and break in the dungeon. It's just like, oh no, the Lord of the ta- the, May- the Lord Mayor has pushed up the execution date
0: to two weeks from now. And then you have attention back. Well, that was the actual thing I was going to say is, well, uh, we don't know when they're going to be executed, but, like, maybe the party does a lot of really good stuff. They get to the level they need to re- actually surprisingly quick. Well, it also turns out, yeah, the execution date's been moved. So then there's always this, like, thing of, like, well, the execution date was always going to be moved as the GM, but the players don't know that. Or at least it's coincidental. Um. And then, like... But between that, though, I could have introduced maybe one or two entire, like, extra plot threads to do afterwards. Maybe they've finally broken out this guy. Maybe everything's all settled. But, like, it turns out this wizard that they're friends with, uh, maybe they've learned something about his past and bring it up with them. And because they've known this wizard for a while now, Maybe the wizard finally decides to be like, well, now that you know, I need your help. And then it can be the next thing afterwards. And again, it's trying to, like, build things up and giving the players the carrot each time. Like, you know, just because you've arrived at your destination doesn't mean there's not something else in the distance that looks equally as interesting, you know? There's another thing with time limits that can be a bit of a pit trap for
2: DMs. Because you can put a time limit on something like as soon as that's been established that it's a short time limit, players are going to beeline for it or feel like they're being pressured to do something and that can either be a good incentive or an unwanted pressure and keeping players from doing other things that they want to do. Um, Like in Miles' campaign, we learned that we had about three months to take care of our business before we knew that the Kirlanders were going to invade because they were going to invade right at the start of spring or something
1: you like that. You thought, you figured, because who would start a, who would start a campaign in the winter?
2: Yeah, it it doesn't it didn't make logical sense. But it gave us it, it, we had a bit of a more relaxed pace to go explore this distant land of adventure and take care of stuff and get stronger. Whereas, say, in my own campaign with the with the wizard who had their vast underground empire that the players were effectively at war with, they always were feeling pressure to go after this dude because they knew he was trying to ascend to godhood and they only had about a year. And I wanted to make it clear that they could take their time and fuck up his operations and get stronger. But they felt that pressure and decided to just tear through the underdark at every opportunity they had and they ended up only spending about three or four months managing their, actually it was closer to five months, managing their keep as opposed to getting it up to as advanced as possible as they could have gotten. And that's something that I feel happens a lot in modern campaigns where downtime kind of vanishes because the players constantly feel like they're under pressure.
0: Well, uh actually uh because i think i mentioned in a previous episode with in the same setting where there's these pieces of an evil dragon that the party are collecting and the idea with that is that like the idea is that i'm trying i would be drip feeding what would be not the logical course of like progression like this is the easiest and this is the strongest But it's a case of, well, they know this one has actually been around for a bit. Why should we leave it continuing? Because the nearby settlement could be at risk. And then the idea, though, as well would be, is like also Miles said, with the clock still running, just because you're doing one thing doesn't mean the opposite end of the world isn't doing something, you know? So, like... It's partly... It would partly be a way to scale the encounter, the fights. Maybe it turns out the party have done a lot of extra op- opportunities and have levelled up past the point where this enemy was would have been the perfect sweet spot for it to be a challenge. Well, they're still existing. Why wouldn't they get stronger? And it can be this grey area of like, well, right, the party's two levels over what they really should have done. Well, turns out They've managed to find a group of adventurers that they've corrupted into being, like, generals. And now the party has more of a challenge because there's extra bodies in this fight. As an example...
2: Or, say, this artifact or whoever's controlling it. it. We were originally just, like, a bandit chief, but while the party were fucking around something bigger and more powerful took notice and came in and solved the
0: problem themselves and are now the new problem. There's always a bigger fish. Instead of fighting a bandit chief, they're fighting a corrupted paladin.
2: Well, and like, instead of fighting a bandit chief, a beholder found out about this artifact and was just like, ooh, mine, and ate that bandit clan and has taken the artifact and, like, brought it into the catacombs
0: underneath the city. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like, There's a clear progression, but like the idea is not to punish the play would not be to punish the players because I would want to also encourage exploration. But it's just that the ones that they know of, at least, are either too far away from any settlements that it shouldn't be a problem right now. So, you know, the ones that are closer to their level, which seem to be the more imperative to deal with the ones that they can deal with you know like and again that would be my way of scaling the levels the invisible level like the invisible level gate oh it turns out now that you've hit this level uh while you've been dealing with everything else it's suddenly the creatures decided i'm gonna look for the other pieces of this thing and now they're on a bit of a deadline dead- uh, deadline yeah
1: uh there is a trick I tend to do. It's because I, I am far more fond of sandboxy type worlds because having a big world that people can investigate and explore is just so much more fun to me. Uh, there's a trick. When you're setting up a town, what I tend to do is I have a town, I roll to see what kind of leader it is, then I come up with what's plaguing the town because. Nine times out of ten in the D&D campaign, you go to a town, there's going to be some sort of problem you need to fix. Because otherwise, why are you in that town? It's it's kind of like how Coop said on the NPCs episode, a person should fill a purpose. I do the same for locations.
2: That's honestly just a good writing practice. If it doesn't matter, then you gloss over it, because it didn't yeah, matter. It's,
1: it's a town moving in. you rest there, you move on to the next town where the real shit happens. I prefer to have everything... Ca- and it's kind of like, it's a little cheat I do, that they have always got something. And if you have enough warning, you can just convert the scale of the enemies. So you go at a low level, this area that's being plagued by a hag, it's a green hack they come in at level six or seven it's an ennis hack if they come in at level 10 it's it's a coven of hacks you just scale
2: well it can also be a thing like yeah yeah we were passing this town and the bartender's just like yeah we've had an, we've had a, we've had an orc problem lately yeah they've been harassing some farmers on the edge of town Players just like, that sounds boring. Let's go do something else. And as a DM who's not on the railroad, you, you do that. They swing back the town another way because like, it's on a major road or something. It's just like, oh, yeah, you know those those orcs we told you about last time? Yeah, they killed a farmer and moved into his house. They got an ogre now. Really, you wish someone would do something about that. And then your partner's just like, ogres are boring. Let's keep going. And, like, this clan can just keep going and power and power until it's just like,
0: Hey, where'd this pit stop town we keep stopping in go? That's fair. I, personally, if I, was, if I was running a campaign where that happened, at least what I would do, is that, yeah, uh, you've left it too long. Now, they know of your exploits. They want to look for you for a challenge. Oh, wait, you guys are at this settlement with these people you like. Well, now, this is what you get. You let entire... I think the thing is, as well, is sometimes I feel like, maybe this is the sadist in me, it's okay to punish a player, not to the point where they don't want to have fun anymore, but to basically be like, well, why did you leave it for so long? It's kind of your fault, you know? Like, if you're going to put your hand on a burning oven, you're going to get burned. Don't be... You know, like... The orcs have come to the town that you like. Uh, well, they grow in such a number and such a power. Now you've lost an NPC you like. Maybe the town child, who was going to become a great knight one day, has been ahead head on a pike. Uh, and that's your fault for letting it get That's that a point. bit
1: harsh. That's a bit hard. But I respect yeah, that.
0: But if you're supposed to be adventurers... Why wouldn't you deal? Why wouldn't you nip the problem in the bud when you had the chance?
2: Untended to dungeons can become a problem, but you can also reuse them as just like on the road encounters. Yeah.
0: For me, it's a case of this is your job and livelihood. You wouldn't do something at the last minute if you can help it, unless there's good reason. If you're passing through this town and you know there's a problem and yeah, sure, there might be something that you need to deal with. But for me, it's a case of... If I was an adventurer, what's the point in trying to help people if I can't help the people right in front of me, if you get what I mean? Like, yeah, the ca- the wizard's in the castle, but he's not going anywhere. Like, you don't see him going down every fortnight. Like... Stealing another woman to try and use her to resurrect his dead wife or something. Maybe he's doing that, but it's a case of he's so far away. What's wrong with dealing with these orcs right here and now? Like I dunno. That's my fault anyway.
2: That can be a problem though, if you've made one threat feel too urgent and too big for the players to stop and take care of small threats along the way. Yeah. Like, oh no there's some orcs harassing this town and it might get worse but we're kind of on a time crunch and need to get halfway across the continent in a couple of weeks because this wizard is going to summon the meteor that's going to destroy the capital city and kill like a million people
0: yeah I, I actually agree with that uh, and again I think that's down to the GM either not setting right expectations like yeah uh, the big bad is a problem, but, uh, and this is what I would do is my thought process is like, that doesn't mean you can't help the little guy on the way, you know, not like going out of your way to do inane stuff. Like, you know, the big bad's in the castle. Let's save every cat that's climbed up a tree and can't get down. <laughs>
2: It all just eventually cycles back to managing expectations of not just like what your players are going to expect of the campaign, the the pacing of it, the threats, the timing. It's also managing the expectation of the individual quest of in the adventure Like mm, you like you've planned for this 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 sleepy crossroads town or the sleepy like on the road town that's. That's been harassed by orcs. You planned for the players to take care of that. And the entire session that they've been here, they've been buying and selling stuff for like 10, 15 minutes, and it's clear that they plan on moving on the next morning. And you really don't have anything else planned. Well, you either... At that point, you have, have some choices to make as a DM. You either look at your players and say, hey, this is all I have ready. Do it or we're not playing. Which can feel like either a cop-out or like a threat. Or do you try to do a narrative spin on it and say, okay, well, they don't want to do this. Maybe some orcs come in and steal some stuff and cause some active problems while they're here, and now the problem is directly in front of them. Maybe they steal some stuff from the party. I would maybe personally avoid stealing stuff from the party because that's often, like, seen as a a poo-poo thing of, like, the DM trying to force your hand. But... You know, sometimes you just gotta try to force their hand if that's all you have ready.
0: I mean, again, uh, with managing expectations, like, maybe you need to force their hand because you've already told them that the idea is, like, you're supposed to be adventurers that are killing bad people, or bad things. And if they're not, you know, doing what they're supposed to, well, then why are they here? And either the players don't like it, And then in that case, well, again, going back to what I said before, does the GM need to completely rework the campaign and make it something else? Or do they just need new players, you know? Hmm.
2: There's also the situation where you've got all this set up and you're ready for this big fight and the players seem like they're interested. But when they show up to the orc camp, they bring out like a goat, a huge pile of cheese and a barrel of beer and they're just like, Hello, orcs! We would like to be friends and get you to integrate into the village. And you're just like, what the fuck?
0: I mean, at and... that point they just get zerg rushed, right? Because why would the orcs ever entertain them? Well, that's the thing. Do you do you do
2: that? Do you do you see if they get like we, we mentioned this early on in the in the episode, but like do you do like like just shoot down their attempt out of hand because it's ridiculous or do you let them try? And you turn the session from, like, an orc slaughter fest into, like, a bit of intrigue, where you're trying to set up a situation where these orcs can peacefully cohabitate.
1: Or you can be like Terry and challenge the orc, orc chieftains to trial by combat.
0: To be fair, the only reason I did that is because the party was getting nowhere. The party, like, not to be rude, but, like, the orcs weren't willing to budge. The party was being too soft, I'd say. We had exhausted all of our options. Nothing was going out, like, not like nothing was going our way, but it was like, we're wasting time if we're not going to do anything substantial. Let's cut the bullshit. You don't want to move for us. Well, we're going to make you move. Mm. I'm fighting you. And if you uh, win, then we're fucking off never to be seen again. But if we win, you're letting us through. And my character won, clapped his cheeks, uh, and yeah, we got what we wanted. And that was after, like... Because that's the thing as well, like, options are nice. It's nice to have the choice to be able to do a lot. But in a game where the thing that stops you from succeeding is the roll of a dice. And that was the thing that was causing his problems. Well, all right. I'm just going to brute force the way at that point, because that's the only thing... I felt we had left that didn't involve us just wasting time. That's the thing as well, is like uh with the party deciding what they want to do, sometimes the GM needs to nudge the party. Because there's points where it's like, well, the party's taking too long, nothing's happening, either we need to end the session now, and we're only an hour in, or I'm making this happen, and if you don't like it, well, that's your fault. And again, like, maybe it's harsh, but you don't have that luxury in real life is my thought process. Well, there is a tool that you
2: have as a DM to look at your table and look at your players and say, hey, let's take a step back for a second and actually talk above game. Or like out of character like i i had a similar situation with the orc tribe in my um in my west marches game where the party were going after a clan of hobgoblins and one of the solutions that was thrown out was dueling the chief and turned out afterwards there was a bit of uh, a kerfuffle because several of the players really didn't like that idea and felt like they were forced along with it and what i should have done as a dm is just like look you've got this option you can either go forth and try to slaughter these guys you can go forth with this duel let's let's take a step out of character for a moment because it's all proceeding very fast or very slow whatever the situation happened to be and just have a vote cuz we're all adults here and i'm and i just want this to be clear so we can move forward and honestly it probably would have played out a lot smoother if i had done that and that as a tool in your box as a dm is just like yo you are taking too long or yo I feel like someone is running roughshot over the whole group and no one, people aren't getting their voices heard. Let's take a step back, exit character, and just
0: just as adults and humans, say what you're gonna do. I agree. One thing I will say, um, and it's not even really against you, is like it's just to add on. Cause I know RuneSmith did a video about uh a player archetype known as the instigator, I believe it was. Mm. Yes. And it's the player who will like move things along to fill in the dead air. Like the leader of sorts. And I like I to often think, follow that myself. I'd like to think I also tend to, which is again with my character deciding to fight the orc leader through trial by combat. Nothing was getting done. We were taking too long to decide. And the options had been laid out, and I decided, well, if nothing's going on then i'm taking it into my own hands not in the sense where, like i want to control everything but it's a case of that like well again we've been
2: sitting here for 20 minutes and
0: nothing is happening and we're all yeah. still arguing if no if no one's pushing the button i'm pushing the button mm.
1: I, I think that's Also down to party dynamics, which is something that we should probably talk about at some point. Yeah,
0: I think think that would be another good episode. Like, to talk in depth, but that's an example of, like, someone I think can help with, like, the options. If everyone's really spoiled for choice or a bit overwhelmed, it's nice to have that one player or players who can lay out the options in a simple and easy to, you know, understand format. Like, you know... We have three options. We can do this, we could do this and this. Unless you have options for this and this, this third option seems like the best. Because we could do this and that. If only just to if only just to make for more easier conversation, so there's no arguments or needless wasting of time, I guess. Speaking of moving on, though, I think we haven't been talking about,
2: like, the idea of railroading for a while, and we may be coming to the end of our, our topic. Kinda, yeah.
0: I agree. I think, like, we can all agree is bad, right? Or at least the, the kind where it is, there's no options available apart from this one option, and there's no wiggle room. That sort of, like...
2: The phenomena of, I feel railroaded, is definitely a sign that something is fucking up.
1: But that could also just be a player not wanting to play ball. It doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily on you. One guy could say, This is bullshit, I'm being railroaded and you everyone else in the party's like, We're not being railroaded, we're having fun. Well, it's like you have to agree yeah. sometimes that sometimes the simplest option is just to get on with it.
0: Sometimes you can only use this screw to fit in this hole. Doesn't matter if you brought all these other kinds. As an example. Yeah, it- yeah, sometimes you just have to be flexible enough to
2: to do something you weren't prepared for.
1: And sometimes as a player you've got to be prepared for realizing that your dumb idea that is pra- impractical doesn- will not
0: work regardless of what you do.
2: Like, running across the pool of lava would get you to the other side, but good luck with your decks and saves. fuck up.
0: I feel like unless we do have anything to uh, add to this, as the instigator of this episode... <laughs> Uh, I feel like this would be a great time to call it a wrap.
2: Yep, I think we're good, more or less.
0: That's pretty good to me.
1: Um, Before we close up, I'd like to uh, plug the podcast's Twitter. Uh, For those of you who are listening and not following us on Twitter, which is probably the same people, uh, you can find us on Twitter at bFailpodcast. That is at bFailpodcast. We are available on iTunes. Uh, Spotify and soon to be YouTube. Although if you're listening to this on YouTube, you already know that. You're in the future.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but apart from that, yeah. Uh, if Cooper has anything he wishes to plug, by all means. Uh, just just my usual shit. Find my books on DM's
2: Guild, *Hectic Horror Handbook* and *Adversarius Annex. Uh, I am also on the Twitter. That's that's just that sort, Cooper. Uh,
0: anything from you, Terry? Uh I sadly have nothing to plug. Uh but that's okay. Uh that's just me, yeah. <laughs> I'm really tired.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> right then uh let's call this a podcast so you can go to bed. It's not even that late. <laughs> it's fine. Yeah, it's only it's only just hit seven thirty, like a minute ago. Go to sleep. Do what you want. You are the players of your own lives. Don't let someone else railroad you into what you don't want to do. No, do what I say, go to bed. Go oh, to sleep. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, goodbye, everyone. Bye-bye! Bye.